think it's going to be into 2023 before we can really start to hang our hat on trends that we can say are stable to build assumptions about what new work patterns are going to look like. Hello and welcome to The REIT Report. I'm your host, Sarah Borg from Quito. Office life has undergone many changes in the past few years and continued adaptation seems to be inevitable. With me today to unravel what's happening in the office real estate sector is Julie Whelan, CBRE Global Head of Occupier Research. Julie, welcome back to the podcast. Thanks for having me again, Sarah. So broadly speaking, how would you describe office use nationwide as of early May and what are your expectations for the rest of 2022? Great question to start out with. So office usage nationwide is muted. I think that anybody who is in our cities today can tell you that. But the good news is that it's picking up, but it is certainly not uniform across cities. So what I mean by that is that some of the southern states, we have actually seen having a higher return to office rate. And the reason that we think that that's happening is because they're more drivable markets. They're markets that seem to have more favorable weather. There are markets that honestly people have more heavily migrated into over the pandemic and in some cases taken new jobs. And maybe that's what's making sort of visiting the office more enticing and important. So on the other side of the equation, it's the primary cities that have had a more muted return to the office. But I look at the data really closely every week, and it seems over the last week at least that it's been the markets like New York and D.C. that have actually seen some of the biggest gains. So based on our survey results, based on what we see in the market, our thesis is that a return to office has started in earnest finally, and it shouldn't reverse, but it is going to take the rest of 2022 to take hold. And I think we should all expect a lull during the summer months, which is typical. And so as a result of all that, I think it's going to be into 2023 before we can really start to hang our hat on trends that we can say are stable to build assumptions about what new work patterns are going to look like. So this is really taking a bit longer than had been expected originally, would you say? Absolutely. And we had done the same survey last year at this time before Omicron hit. And I would have said probably the same thing at that time, but then Omicron hit and things reversed. However, this time, I think that we feel pretty good saying that that things are not going to reverse and and we should see momentum continue to build and new patterns emerge. Mm -hmm. And are there specific things that are enticing workers to return to the office? And on the other side, what's keeping them away? Another good question. So it's pretty simple. We see that other people are enticing workers to return to the office. So I work very closely with our workplace strategy team at CBRE, and they repeatedly say lately that the biggest office amenity for employees is simply other employees. And so what I mean by that is that nobody wants to go into the office to sit on Zoom all day with those that aren't in the office. But at the same time, coordinating with the people that you need to be in the office with on any given day is not an easy task. And so what we see is that many organizations are really discovering how to make this kind of what we're calling presence awareness happen. And they're using technology to make it happen. They're trying to train managers. They're creating policies around meeting expectations. They're doing a lot of different things to just try to discover and learn how to make people aware as to when they're each going to be in the office and and how to create behaviors to allow like people to be in the office at the same time that need to see each other. 
Now, managers are often the catalyst for getting people to come back by just simply creating productive meetings where expectations are set to be in person. And then often they're kind of anchoring those meetings with maybe a fun lunch or an after work activity. But those are very point in time kind of moments. But to make a return to office sustainable, we know there has to be a deeper level of connections that have to be made that many organizations are focused on. Now, you also asked what's keeping them away. And I would say, again, it's simple there. There's pretty much one answer. And from what we understand, it's the commute. So when you think about the commute to the office, many have taken the hours that they previously used to commute into the office. And they've replaced that time with other personal and professional activities that they aren't really necessarily willing to trade easily back right now for a commute. And so what a lot of organizations are focused on right now is how to make the commute for employees easier, at least some of the time. And others are looking to create amenities and services in the office that actually make that trade-off of time worth it to employees. So what I mean by that is you have to really look at the life stage of where your employees are, and there might be different things that make that trade-off of time worth it to them. Some may be enticed by having prepared meals to take home after work. Some may want daycare on site. And there are a multitude of other services that may make employees' lives easier. And so what we see is that a lot of organizations are actually taking time right now to understand and ultimately provide what's important to their employee base to help motivate the behaviors that they want to see around office attendance. Great. Now, if we could turn to the hybrid model for a little bit, would you say commitment to hybrid work is in the majority these days, or does it really depend on which industry you're talking about? So I would say that the commitment to hybrid work is definitely in the majority today. Our survey results of our latest spring occupier survey say that 73% of respondents are welcoming employees back under this type of hybrid work arrangement. And that is remarkably uniform across industries. Of course, these are industries that have previously relied on office jobs to get work done. But hybrid is definitely not a one-size-fits-all, and there's a range of what hybrid means. To some, hybrid means being in the office most of the time with a little bit of flexibility to do work elsewhere. And to others, hybrid means being out of the office most of the time with flexibility to visit the office as needed. And there is a whole range of options in between those two things. Now, we tend to see that industries like financial services or even the legal industry are a little bit more office-focused right now, and they're also a little bit more prescriptive about exactly when they want employees to be in the office, and they're sort of directing that behavior. Now, on the other side, we're seeing tech firms that are being a lot more flexible. They're being a lot more sensitive to employee needs about their approach to hybrid. And then in between, you kind of have industries like life sciences that, by the way, have also been some of the biggest leasers of space through the pandemic, and they are very reliant on the office, although also supportive of flexibility for employees, but they are more reliant on the office simply because of the specifics of their lab and their office space and how what happens in their lab and office space is actually critical to the productivity of their employees' work. So it's definitely not a one-size-fits-all, and most organizations are really studying the various functions that exist in their world to try to understand what these functions need to be successful. And therefore, they're deploying policies and strategies 
accordingly versus really creating a blanket approach that may not work for every function that exists in an organization. Right. And that leads to my next question, which is how that hybrid model is shaping office design trends. Um, it sounds like it's still very much a work in progress. Is it too early to say how, how it's impacting the layouts and, and other things in the office? It is still a work in progress. We all know that real estate does not shift quickly, even if work patterns are shifting quickly. So I mentioned previously that most organizations are moving towards a hybrid work policy, but I would say that most are not making these wholesale changes to their portfolio yet. Instead, what they're doing is making small iterative changes. And they're doing this because there are some things that they have to support that are just really apparent, while there are other things that are need to be planned a little bit more deeply for as sort of we envision future shifts in terms of how space is designed. So to give you examples of some of the small changes that we're seeing, certainly improvement in video conferencing technology in the office, wellness features in the office like indoor air quality, and certainly creating more collaborative zones in the office are kind of three areas that we do see time and effort and capital being put into right now. But the reason that we're not seeing more transformational change happening is because organizations actually don't know what they're planning for yet. We started this conversation by talking about how a return to office is muted right now. So they certainly don't have observable trends to go off of at the moment. But at the same time, there's not a precedent for what they're trying to design new space standards for because we've never lived in this new world before. And so most organizations are really taking time to kind of collect data as people return to the office, which is ultimately going to help them study and analyze this return to office and space use patterns which will lead to new design principles. Now, I'd say the other reason that it's hard to do transformational work right now is because it's really difficult, as any of us have known that have lived through either a work or a home environment that are getting renovated, it's hard to live through that. So most are waiting for kind of a least catalyst activity to happen that is going to actually allow them to impact change. And what's interesting is that we actually do see it happening right now. So those that do have leases expiring, we see a lot of relocation activity and we see relocation activity into better space because organizations are focusing on engaging with better quality space to really impact their employee experience moving forward. And given all the flux um, in the market right now, How has flex office space fared and how is it positioned uh, going forward? So when you say flex office, I'm assuming that you mean flexible office space, uh, such as what we would have originally known as co-working that has now taken on quite a different model throughout the pandemic. And and I have to say, this is one of my favorite topics as I have been studying it since I joined Subiri seven years ago. So we studied this space closely through the pandemic. And what we know is that Supply growth kind of stopped a flexible office supply throughout the pandemic. It had been growing at such a fast clip, really leading up to it. But then during the pandemic, it didn't only slow, but it actually contracted. But what was interesting is that it only contracted, according to our numbers, by just under 9% between sort of the middle of 2020 and the middle of 2021. And I am actually extremely surprised at how resilient that niche of the market was 
because it was faced with so much adversity, given the very nature that that space model is based on, which is sharing in short-term lease contracts. Now, what I would say we actually saw happen during the pandemic is that flex providers that did contract used it as the opportunity to right-size their portfolio. So with rapid growth, sometimes comes growth that isn't necessarily always strategically in line with the vision of the organization. And so there was a lot of right-sizing that was able to happen. And in some cases, organizations and flex providers actually grew their footprint. So some of the biggest growth drivers that we saw were providers like Industrious, who actually engaged with landlords through management agreements. And some of the landlords themselves, like Tishman, Hines, Brookfield, EQ Office, actually started to grow their own offering. So I would argue that this end of the market actually surprised to the upside during the pandemic. And I think a lot of the kind of growth vision was occurring because we know that tenants are really eager to use this type of space going forward as a piece of their portfolio strategy. So again, this is a question that we ask in our occupier survey every year. And in this survey, more than half of respondents told us that they want to significantly increase their use of flexible office space over the next few years. So we see that we are going to be back on a kind of a growth trajectory of flexible office supply because it is such a small percentage of the overall market today that to meet future demand, it's going to have to grow. You mentioned earlier the focus on wellness issues. Are you seeing any other shifts in corporate ESG trends given the return to office? So ESG is such a hot topic right now, and I'm not sure that it's necessarily a hot topic because of the return to office. I don't think the return to office has been that launching pad, but I do think that it's a recognition that everyone is contributing to the environmental and the climate challenges, I guess I would say, that we're faced with today. And big business especially is accepting their role in making a difference for the future simply because of their scale and their ability to impact the future. Now, I would say a couple of the things that are actually creating kind of this catalyst for change right now is number one, public commitments to meet zero carbon targets are really common right now. So we wrote a paper last year and we found that more than 30% of the global Fortune 500 companies are either achieving a climate goal or publicly committed to doing so by 2030. So just by them making those big, bold statements in the market, that's the catalyst for the change that we're seeing today. Another thing that we're seeing is that employees really have a desire to work for companies that have a purpose. And that is really not going to go away anytime soon. Now, I'll share a personal story with you. I was really struck last night as I was watching a documentary with my children on actually Believe it or not, one of their favorite YouTubers, his name is Mr. Beef, and his whole platform is helping others. And he's most recently translated that into a global project called Team Trees. And in this project, his goal is to plant 20 million trees around the world. Now, that seems daunting, but in the last three years, they've actually accomplished planting over 13 million trees. And they've done that basically through harnessing the power of the collective good of humanity and kind of starting this movement that is really going to help the future of the planet. 
So his platform has given people the purpose to do something that has started a movement that is so much bigger than one person. And I think that that's a lesson to be learned for big companies. If one person could do that, can you imagine the influence that these companies can have over their employees by just creating a clear purpose and then taking action to support it that their employees can follow? And that's what so many employees really desire in their employer right now. And when you look at job openings today, they're at record levels, but you also look at quits rates that are at record levels and you look at unemployment that is extremely low, companies have a compelling purpose right now to kind of take a competitive advantage with talent through their ESG goals and through their purpose statements. And then often, you know, regulatory change does work here also. And we know that there's kind of looming SEC climate disclosure reporting right now in the U.S that's creating an environment where more organizations are frankly just getting organized around their reporting. And 71% of the respondents this year to our survey said that they are really focusing on reporting around reducing greenhouse gas emissions as a priority strategy. So there is certainly a lot of catalyst for change around here um, and around the ESG movement that is about a lot larger things than just a return to office. Julie, we've covered lots of interesting topics. Are there some other trends or developments in the office space that you find interesting or you're keeping a close eye on? Yes. I think this flight to quality or what some are calling a flight to experience is a very interesting trend that we're keeping a close eye on. So I talked about earlier that we know tenants and employees want something different out of their space than they had before the pandemic. And that might be in terms of the neighborhood that their building is located in. It might be the elements of the human or the digital or the physical experience that represent the building, or it might simply be the way that space is built out. But we know that tenants are voting with their feet right now. And we see that the most quality end of the office market is acting quite resilient right now. And there is a lot of recovery happening in that end of the market. So as vacancy tightens in that end of the market and new development remains limited, things could get really, really interesting. And that leads to the big question, which is, well, what's going to happen to the more commodity end of the market, the lower quality space? And we actually anticipate that there's going to be quite a bit of redevelopment or adaptive reuse that starts to happen because we know that there's such a need for multifamily and industrial that could be satisfied through some of that reuse. So I think that the office market is changing more rapidly than it ever has been before. And personally, I think that all of this is just making it be a really exciting time to be in commercial real estate right now, Sarah. Julie, it's been a real pleasure speaking with you today. Thanks so much. Thank you so much, Sarah, for having me. And to our listeners, if you enjoyed today's podcast, please subscribe or leave a review on your favorite podcast platform. 